welcome to a special bonus episode of Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni, and Vlashin is here too. What up? Will, 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 Will. John, John, it's, John, It's John, December. John. Yes. Sony movies have come out lately. I, I obviously can't keep up. I have like a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, just uh, too many things we can't keep on top of, or at least uh, I can't keep on top of because I don't get to see things as uh, quickly or readily as you do, unfortunately. Hey, I don't see it. We, we how many times are we gonna have this conversation? Sure. I, I still haven't seen plenty of things that you have. It's just we're making the most of it. Mm-hmm. We're adjusting, fine tuning, you know, the knobs yeah. of award season. Yeah, and that includes a, a review or two of some films that we, we we've seen. Mm-hmm. Like we saw these a while ago. Yeah, but, you know, we just just didn't have time to kind of squeeze them in. Yeah, but now they're in limited release, so pe- people can check well, these movies out. I think it's a great time to talk about them. Uh, I think Nightmare Alley is a wide release, right? Oh yeah, maybe that is a wide release. Swan Song, I think, is like coming to TV Plus later. But yeah, well, we'll talk about that later. I mean, if you're hearing some of these reports, Nightmare Alley is becoming a limited release because they keep shooing it out of screens to show Spider-Man. So that's not great. Yeah, it, you could almost forget Nightmare Alley. Searchlight Pictures, right? Yeah. That's Disney. Yeah, and Disney's like kind of, you know. It's it's a weird situation because it's not like Disney is distributing Spider Man. It's a it's an MCU thing. Right. Marvel Studios is Disney, but that's Sony. It's under the. It's kind of weird. It's the same umbrella, just different corporations or different uh, companies under well, the same corporation. We should be clear. Like Marvel Studios, like Disney's not really. Like, they're not making mon- like money like directly from Spider Man, as far as I understand. Like, they're making money like indirectly through the, the MCU kind of continuing its brand power. But this this is Sony. Like they're. That's part of the deal, isn't it? I guess, but I mean, if Disney was uh, concerned, I think, with the well-being of this movie, Nightmare Alley, I think they would have uh, not right. put it on the same weekend <laughs> as Nightmare Alley. Because, you know, if you're going to be like, Agreed. hey, I'm going to go to the theater see that new movie with Willem Dafoe, they're not going to be like, oh, you mean Nightmare Alley? They're thinking <laughs> Spider-Man right, right. Homecoming, or sorry, Spider-Man Far F- or No Way Home can't remember yeah, these that, titles. Took, yeah, that took you a couple tries yeah I, well, the titles are very confusing to me unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately but you know nightmare alley it's a uh it's, it's counter programming you know it, it's a movie that for sure has always been a counter programming thing down to its original so let, let's get let's talk about this new movie directed by guillermo del toro i will ask you simple questions you will answer in short sentences only what you believe to be absolute truth. Absolute truth. I can do that. Now, brief as you can, what is your name? Stanton Carlisle. Are you a true medium? Yes, I am. Mr. Carlisle? Doctor, how about that? Please lie down. Can you read minds? Yes, I can. Under the right circumstances. Keep your answers brief. What do I want? To be found out, same as everybody else. Are you in contact with the beyond? Well, we've had our share of snake charmers in the past. We deal with them. This is Toro's first film since Shape of Water, which, of course, won... The Academy Award for Best Picture. Yeah. What a success story mm-hmm. The Shape of Water was. I think that was our first Oscars that we talked about on Cinemaholics, yes. right? Yes, I remember because that was the year that people were like, oh, they picked the safe pick. And I <laughs> was like, this is the safe pick? The movie right. where a mute woman falls in love with a fish man is the safe pick? 
I, I found that to be yeah. uh, hard to believe, but I really like that movie a lot. I feel like people weirdly after one best picture, I feel like its reputation has kind of uh, gone down a little bit for whatever reason. I guess that's kind of the Oscar curse is that, uh, you know, with the exception of maybe like something like Moonlight or uh, Parasite, a lot of films that win best picture don't uh, hold up in quite the same esteem after they win that coveted prize. But I really sure. do like that movie a lot. I've only seen it the one time, but I really enjoyed it. It's a strong movie. I remember that year. I think people were just expecting, you know, I thought the safe pick was going to be, I think it was three billboards outside of Missouri was that yeah, year. Yeah, that movie. Yeah. Darkest Hour. And yeah, that's maybe safe. Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. Darkest Hour, I think, is a safe pick. But I mean, I get mm-hmm. that like that was the year of Lady Bird. That was a year of Get Out. I think a lot of people and understandably so wanted those those two movies to do really well. And they did. They they both won yeah, Oscars. They got stuff. Yeah. And they're both yeah. really good films. Yeah. Uh, and, and I really like Shape of Water, too. So I wasn't upset. I've been kind of fascinated to see sort of the push and pull of Nightmare Alley as a film over the last few weeks because, you know, critics screened it earlier in the month in order for it to like hit qualifying for awards, right? So all the different guilds, Critics' Choice, like all these places, we were able to see it early because, you know, Searchlight kind of wanted to push it a bit, right, for for Oscar consideration. Yeah. I know they also had French Dispatch, but I would say this this has more juice behind it for an Oscar than the new Wes Anderson movie. Sure, which, yeah. Can you believe that? <laughs> I just remember, though, like there were like two big question marks leading up to December where people were like, we don't know how West Side Story is going to do and we don't know how Nightmare Alley is going to do. And I believe they premiered the same week. They're both, uh, you know, Fox movies or what's formerly known as Fox. Um, and, you know, obviously West Side Story did really, really well critically. And this movie didn't get bad reviews, but I think it got maybe more of a muted or mixed response. And I think... When that happened, some of its Oscar hopefulness uh, went away. Uh, but it's yeah. picking up again. Is it? I think now that it's hit wide release, Nightmare Alley mm-hmm. has really sort of like I, I'm seeing. Yeah, that's what I mean by push and pull. I'm seeing a renewed enthusiasm for its prospects. And I, I was confused about it because th- there are three films at play here that I think Searchlight always kind of had in mind for bringing this about. Um, because like Nomadland was also Searchlight, wasn't it? Wasn't it like a co-production? Because uh, yes. they, they did it with Hulu. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or at least the, the the release of it was Hulu. But I don't know if Hulu profited mm-hmm. off it directly or anything like that. I'd have to double check that. But I mean, yeah, they had a great 2020 in that respect. Um, even though Nomadland technically is 2021 released for the general audiences. But, you know, last year was not a big year comparatively. Like if I remember last year, we had like, like downhill <laughs> the david copperfield movie oh but boy. this year they have a yeah. lot of stuff like they had summer they have summer of soul which is you know campaigning obviously for documentary and then they have um i think three movies here that they have they had to sort of pick from i was like which one's going to be our oscar play is it going to be the eyes of tammy faye eh, probably not it's not a movie that everybody's really loving garfield has tick tick boom but chastain for you know tammy faye that's that's where they're kind of putting their their money in that basket yeah, yeah. french dispatch that's you know wes anderson is kind of bankable as a as an awards favorite especially since that was like i think the first time in a long time if ever that a wes anderson film was coming out around award season he usually does it earlier in the year yeah and then you have of course, Antlers, just kidding. Uh, Nightmare Alley, yeah. which <laughs> um, I think that's the one because they they picked that for December. Eyes of Tammy Faye's September. French Dispatch is an October release. Clearly, Nightmare Alley was there. We're going to put this out in December. We're going to see what the public thinks. It's Del Toro. We have Bradley Cooper. We have Kate Blanchett. We have Rudy Mara. We have Oscar, you know, neon lights 
on this movie Mm -hmm. and now it's a little bit more uncertain it's always sort of been in the like oscar bubble Mm -hmm. but it's i don't think it's ever been a front runner that said yeah it's got it's got some stuff going for it. I think Critics' Choice, we it got eight nominations. Okay. So, like, including Best Picture and Best Director for Del Toro, as expected. So, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Uh, if I were a betting man, I would say, and I haven't looked at the predictions at the moment from different publications, but my guess would be that it might get a uh, art direction or, like, production design type nomination. It maybe will get an adapted screenplay nomination. I don't see. I mean, Cooper is obviously in the conversation for best actor, but I think that category is so stacked as it usually is that he'll probably get um, booted out. And they might. I mean, I, I don't know. Is he being considered for best supporting actor for Licorice Pizza at the moment, or is that uh, not really happening? I don't know. I don't think that's gonna. Ha- I, yeah, I don't. I don't think that there's any. Well, I didn't know juice behind that. I didn't know if that I was know people competing. were trying yeah. to make it a thing, right. but no. Okay, I didn't know, but I mean, I think he's due for an oscar i think people will want to give him some sort of critical or you know awards uh consideration and, and i think a lot of people expect that to happen with the star is born but uh yeah, yeah. which was a much better performance than in nightmare alley i think i think he's quite good in nightmare alley but we can discuss that more in a bit um certainly yeah 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 because i have my criticisms i think you have yours i i, I would say that like Adapted screenplay, that's a tough sell just because this is a remake. It's sure you're kind of adapting the novel, but really this movie's picking up a lot of its points from the original movie. So I don't know, maybe a nomination, sure, but I don't know if it would actually win. Um, And then, yeah, director is always like a crapshoot considering how usually if you're going to win best director, even if your film doesn't win best picture, like you got to have like some kind of movie. Like we're talking about like Roma, you know, where Quran gets the Oscar for that, even though Green Book wins the whole thing. you know, right. We don't have to relitigate that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe if I don't know, it's coming out in December, obviously, but I don't know if it, if it came if it came out later in the year when it was fresher on people's minds, maybe the Toro would be in the conversation more. I don't it's know. It's unpredictable because we still yeah. have SAG Awards. We, we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know what the BAFTAs are really going to look mm-hmm. like. And Critics' Choice isn't until next month. And then the Oscars aren't until the end of March. So like, right. it's it's completely unpredictable. You never know where the tides are going to flow. Mm-hmm. All I can say is that from the people I follow, and I know you and I have different timelines. Sure. I see energy for this movie that I wasn't seeing a few weeks ago. When I was coming out of the screening, people were like, I didn't like it. I was I was like one of the lone voices. was like, you know what? I like that movie. I think that it was mm-hmm. really well done and I enjoyed it quite a bit, even though I have some complaints. Everybody else around me was just sort of like, nope, not, not, I don't, I'm not, this is, this was a nightmare. You're right. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I don't remember the response being overwhelmingly strong, but I definitely remember it being pretty favorable, uh, when it came out or at least when the critics got to see it um but i'm yeah. seeing the strongest reactions in the positive direction right now like from okay. like people on twitter and like that i'm starting to see for the not the first first time but definitely like more of the for the first time people being like this movie's fantastic like this is really great you gotta go check it out see i'm seeing more of people being like don't forget this film like if you're gonna see movies in theaters sure. like don't forget about this one because it needs the love and consideration if we want more movies like it that's what I'm seeing right now on Twitter. I'm not seeing like a. I'm seeing that too. Yeah, yeah I'm seeing both. All right. Yeah. I'm probably seeing that more to your credit. Like I'm seeing that more than I'm seeing the like this movie is actually really really great. But yeah, uh, let's actually talk about the movie though. <laughs> um, starting with the, the original Nightmare Alley. Uh, I think we both have seen this, right? I was going to ask. 1947. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it quite recently. Yeah. Um, and you've seen it as well. Great movie. Yeah, it's a good film. So good. Mm-hmm. 
so good. One of my favorite Tyrone power performances. I know some people say it's his best, but uh, you know, you know me, I'm a, I'm a Zorro, you know, fanatic. Sure. And I just, I, you know, I, I always take a Zorro film with yeah. Tyrone power and then Basil Rothbone, but Nightmare Alley, like the original, it's, it's a great film noir. It's especially, it's like, it's, it's one of those film noirs that's like very disarming because it's not quite like other film noirs. It's a little bit more subversive and deconstructive compared to like, like people watch this and they expect like, okay, where's Lauren Bacall? You know what I mean? Sure. It's also very old Hollywood as well. And as far as its presentation, the way the performances come out, um, I think it's a good film. I think it holds up, but I could see from a producing, if like from a producer standpoint, why they felt like there could be a remake of this film with this story. Yeah. I mean, it's the only remake we've gotten, I believe. And so, you know, at some point we needed to address the elephant in the the circus, you know, mm. okay, is which one's better. And what, I think it will have, it will take some parsing for us. To, I don't know. I think I actually I have to talk about it with you. I think I don't know which movie I prefer, but I think some things I really admire about the original more and some things I really appreciate as far as what Del Toro brought to the table here. Interesting. Okay, so then we're going to get right into it. Now, this was based on a novel by uh, by William Lindsay Gresham, a very, very sad, uh, you know, series of events happened to Gresham, as far as I understand, if he took his own life. And, you know, that that novel is very, very dark, especially for the 1940s. Um, And you can kind of tell from the movies. Yeah, I think he actually might have took taken his life where he wrote the book, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I think I heard something about that. I don't know if that's true. So yeah, I I would have to double check. But yeah, I do know there was some kind of like full circle sort of thing there. That's yeah, very sad. Um, But of course, the yeah, he passed away in the 40s, I want to say. And I think it was the forties actually, but anyway, um, nightmare alley though, this movie, it's interesting that del Toro is kind of taking it on, I think, because, you know, it's, what do we know about del Toro? What what do we know about like his fixations as a director? He's obviously the guy who made, you know, creature features like pan's labyrinth and the shape of water. Both of those have like, Mm -hmm. you know, where they're really about like the monsters are more human than the humans. Yes. That's kind of the, you know, running through line for movies like that from him but then and also like his practical special effects have always been you know kind of like one of his signature styles of like how good he is at doing that especially you know juxtaposed with horror but he's made other stuff i mean yeah hellboy too i forgot to mention that mm. but then he's made stuff like crimson peak right which is more of like an atmosphere movie right uh yeah i mean it's you know gothic horror but yeah mm-hmm. it's it's relying heavily on the atmosphere and the production design as his movies usually do yeah, it's it's more about like, okay, I don't need a monster in this. Like, I don't need like a kaiju like Pacific Rim. It's like the characters kind of do that themselves. And I guess that's kind of like what we get with Nightmare Alley, which I guess is why it's interesting that this movie, you know, is, ser- you know, I guess more of a piece. It's like a cousin of Crimson Peak. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. Did you, do you, are you a fan of like all of his movies or do you have like a favorite? Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen all of them. I still need to catch up on a few of the earlier ones. Um, I think the first one I remember seeing was probably the first Hellboy movie. Uh, the first movie, though, that I really appreciated, like the auteur Guillermo del Toro was probably Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, that came out when I was like in middle school. And I remember like that was one of those like foreign language films that I saw. It was just like, oh, wow. Like, you know. Yeah, I mean, I was getting into film in a more, like, critical way, and that was one of those first films where it's like, okay, like, this is, like, a work of art. Like, it's, like, a, a very inviting film as far as, like, understanding, yeah. you know, like, like the world of cinema and all that. And it's just a really I good think film. a lot of people consider it, yeah, a lot of people consider it as magnum opus, yeah. you know? Yeah, I mean, it touches on a lot of the themes that you expect. Um, someone pointed out something recently to me that I find very interesting that is that all of his Spanish-language films 
focus on children and all of his English language films focus on adults, which I find kind of interesting. I'm not quite sure what to make of that, but um, <laughs> that's something I was just thinking about now when we we're discussing Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, but yeah, really good yeah. film. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he also did a uh, Mimic, which I, mean, sure. I don't know about you, Ashton, but that... Mimic is a, uh, that was the first film I ever saw from him. Okay. That was a film that really freaked me out. Like really just kind of like kicked my butt is... because I remember watching that. That movie comes out in 97. Okay. And I remember my folks rented it from Blockbuster and I caught like a, you know, the movie, but like I wasn't supposed to watch it. So, you know, if they're listening, I'm sorry. I was there. I was literally hiding in the kitchen watching this movie wow. and I could not sleep for weeks. And my, and I, I always kept it as a secret because my parents were like, why are you having all these hmm. nightmares? This is so confusing. Yeah. And it was because I watched Jeez. when I was six years old. Wow. That movie's gross. Yeah. I have not seen that one. Is that the Weinstein production? Uh, I don't know if that's Weinstein. I, I know I'd have to look into it. One of his earlier films was a Weinstein production, and it was just, uh, as probably people can imagine now, it was just a very hard experience for him because it was. Uh, yeah, it's Miramax. Yeah. So. Yeah, there you go. I remember that was like one of the films that uh, it, it kind of like dissuaded him briefly from making movies, and then obviously, you know, he kept at it. Uh, so. Right. And thankfully, so I think. But um, yeah, that was a, apparently that was a tough shoot. Now we should say, like, obviously, like he's directed plenty of films before that are, you know, like he writes most of his movies for sure. Um, I think one of the only ones he didn't write was like Blade Two, maybe. I think, I think maybe one other, sure. but yeah, he he usually writes his own movies even when they're like adapted from things. So like the Hellboy movies, obviously that's adapted from the comic book. He does both of the Hellboys, but he directs and writes those. Uh, I think he's going to be directing and writing Pinocchio, right? So yeah, then with excited. Nightmare Alley, we kind of have a yeah, we have a similar situation here where. You know, there's some existing source material, but mm -hmm. he's the kind of director where he's not going to just kind of, you know, phone in a script, right? Sure. I don't think he ever phones it in. Um, oh, to your earlier point, when uh, Lindsey Grisham died in 1962, just as a correction. Okay, it was the 1960s. Yeah. Okay. At least according I think to I was it. just thinking it was like really close to when the novel, the movie came out. Well, so. I mean, not too far. Apologies for the mistake. Not too far, but I mean, yeah, not not directly after. Yeah, just half a generation away. Sure, I guess so. <laughs> Um, but no. yeah, um, sorry. What was the, the question you asked? No, I think we got there. It was just like him not phoning in a script. Oh, yeah, and yeah. I, I guess that, that can lead us right into this movie. Yeah. Where we're not going to give all this stuff away. I know it's an old movie, but I know a lot of people have not seen the original Nightmare Alley. You know, like it's, it's not like an unknown film. Although, you know, I, I don't think Nightmare Alley, like the original was all that like well-known until like people started bringing it up more than early 2000s. Like people were kind of saying like, hey, like I think there was like a few like film historians were like, this is a really great film. Tyrone Power tried to make this and he put a lot of his reputation and money into it and just didn't go anywhere. Critics kind of liked it at the time, but it was just one of those movies, you know, it was like one of those gems mm -hmm. that the public just didn't really click with very much. And it's not like it's always been this like classic film for decades. I think it, the interest in it really picked up in the 2000s thousands and that's why of course i think del toro kind of looked at this movie and was like hey like i i kind of want to make this i think he he started production for it like right after shape of water yeah so here it is uh we, the cast is ginormous we already mentioned bradley cooper and Kate blanchett rooney mara but and i guess you kind of also mentioned willem dafoe is yep. in this uh, tony collette mm -hmm. huh i said of course yeah Yep, of course. And then, uh, yeah, we also have Ron Perlman, you know, kind of coming in from Hellboy and all that. And then yep. we have uh, Richard Jenkins, who was I lovely to see Richard Jenkins in anything, um, yeah. including Mary Steenburgen, who oh, yeah. know, I know we were talking about uh, Step Brothers, uh, you know, not that long ago on the show. And uh, mm -hmm. so yeah. I, I was sad that Richard Jenkins and, and Steenburgen didn't have a, a scene together, but that's fine. Sure. Well, I mean, I yeah. just I was happy to see Richard Jenkins. I'm always happy to see Richard Jenkins on screen, to be clear. But, you know, he's reuniting yeah. with um, Guillermo del Toro after he gave, I thought, one of his best performances in Shape of Water. So I was really 
excited to see him in this film for sure. I don't know if I've seen him in anything since. Uh, maybe maybe one or two small things, but uh, hmm. then David Strayhorn. I always love seeing him. I know like I've been watching the The Sopranos, and I didn't know he was going to be yeah. in The Sopranos, and he pops up, and I'm like, it's always funny too because when you're watching a show and like you know an actor is big now, hmm. or like I guess Strayhorn is not that big, but he's a big TV actor. Like people know sure. this guy. Well, he was in uh, <laughs> Nomadland this past year. Oh, that's right. I forgot yeah, he was yeah. in Nomadland. So yeah. he, you know, he was just in a Best Picture winner. Um, but no, like even before that, I think like he was a big TV actor. So when I saw him in Sopranos, I was like, okay, this is not a throwaway character. They're going to do something with him. And sure enough. But anyway, that's the cast. The story follows Bradley Cooper as kind of this vagabond. You know, he's just kind of like wandering. You know, we see him like walking out of a burning house. We don't know what his past is. He wanders into a carnival, gets hired on the spot. And he starts to kind of learn the ins and outs of being a carny, a con man, and eventually a mentalist. He's mentored by David Strathairn's character, who kind of teaches him, like, hey, there, there are ways for you to sort of, like, you know, trick yourself into coming off as a mentalist, somebody who can almost appear psychic and, like, communing with the dead. And, of course, Cooper's character, he uh, his name is Stan, he tries to see, like, oh, maybe, maybe I can make a business out of this. Maybe I can go around and fool, like, the rich and famous, but then... Obviously, as he runs into a cast of characters who are a bit more than he bargained for, one of them including Kate Blanchett, who plays a psychologist for like the well-to-do, he starts to learn that yeah, this is a, a very risky business indeed. Along the way, he you know has this sort of whirlwind romance with Rooney Mara's character Molly, and he tries to charm her you know into his lifestyle, despite you know her sort of representing the more like the, the innocence and the beauty that he probably doesn't deserve. Um, so this movie, it's a long one, it's a few hours long, and it's, it's definitely sprawling. There, there was a point in the movie where, you know, I, I was expecting it to happen, but even I was sort of like, wow, like Del Toro really is sort of like not making a ton of changes. And I think like changes in terms of like the structure of the film, I think is fair to say. Yeah. The beats. And I think that's for the yeah. better. Yeah. The beats, yeah. the beats are all there. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, what about for you, Will, like, how do you think this compares and, uh, did you enjoy this movie, Nightmare Alley? Uh, as far as how it compares, um, it's definitely not as streamlined as the original. I mean, obviously, the original film was, I think, like 111 minutes or, you know, it's a little under two hours. This one, as you mentioned, is two and a half. Um, and most of it is adding to the first half of the story, or at least adding to the uh, character of Stan. And as you mentioned in the original, he's kind of more of a, uh, uh, you know, like uh, on the level guy at the beginning of the film. Like, he, you know, he's a... Uh, He's hustling and bustling, but he seems like he's kind of uh, more straight edged than he is in Bradley Cooper's. Yeah, he's a straight man. Yeah, in Bradley Early Cooper's on, yeah. version, like as you mentioned, the literally the first thing we see of him is he's dragging a body, and he's gonna like you know light this house on fire, and it's like, yeah, you know, this guy may not be uh, entirely straight. You know, he's uh, yeah, he may yeah. not be on the up and up. <laughs> yeah, he might uh, might have uh, some shady stuff in his past, and I think that adds to the intrigue. Um, I, I imagine that's something that's going to um, upset some people. I'm, I'm not quite sure how it compares to the book. I, I don't know if you've read the book or not, but I have not. Um, no, yeah. But uh, I, I personally think it is a choice that, like, not that it's better than the original, but I think that it's a smart update. Yeah, I like, think it so. serves the purposes of this movie pretty well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it. The, the, my favorite thing I think about this version uh, compared to the original is that it does feel a little bit more fleshed out. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, a lot of the characters that were, you know, fairly secondary in the original get a little bit more to do. I think uh, certainly that's the case for um, Rooney Mara's character, Molly. I think she, uh, 
you know, she's a little bit more well-rounded in this film and the previous uh, version, she's like, you know, very doe eyed and, you know, very like kind of unassuming in a way that, uh, yeah, it feels old fashioned in, in some very, uh, dated respects. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's bulkier than the original film. I don't, I don't think always for the best, as you mentioned, I think the pacing of it is probably where this one suffers the most because the first half is where we're establishing so much. And I don't know if we really need all that in the first half, but I feel like that's where Del Toro is probably the most alive and the most comfortable as far as just exploring the carnivalesque, uh, you know. Yeah, the, that's why I was surprised yeah. that we actually did leave it because I was like, this feels so like Del Toro is just relishing in this world. You know, you can tell that they paid so much attention to the production design of like making down to like how muddy the, the roads are and how dilapidated the rides are, how practical they are, too. Mm-hmm. I was like, I feel like he wants to spend the whole movie here. How is he going to do that, considering what we know about the story? And no, he's not precious about it, which I, I got to respect him for that. I think that he does take it to new places. Mm-hmm. I mean, the kind of sad thing is that those new places aren't as in my opinion as fun yeah but you know you get used to it eventually yeah i mean that's where i think it's interesting as far as exploring uh del toro's filmography in that it's at once like one of his more indulgent movies as far as like being you know prolonged and you know doing a bunch of different things but also like in the second half it feels like he's really challenging himself it's a little bit more restrained as far as like sticking to the noir elements in a way that feels very uh for him very straight laced like it doesn't feel like he's playing up the the stylistic choices as far as like what he usually brings to the table it feels like he's honoring the noir elements of the original film pretty faithfully in a way that i thought was pretty intriguing for del toro but at the same time as you mentioned i think those scenes in the second half aren't quite as interesting or as quite as as memorable as what he does in the first half of the film and and part of it too is it's not that the performances like stop being good you know right. the performances are there it's just like the location like it really comes down to the locales just being very less interesting for a while we're in a psychologist's office that you know it has a little bit of flair but it just doesn't quite match you know he's like in these galas he's in this hotel and it, it's all very i don't know it's it's all very simple you know there's like a sort of monolithic metropolis sort of feel to it at times that is kind of interesting yeah. i will say it's though a, the movie yeah it's a little samey i guess uh for lack of a better word it just kind of feels they all like look a little it doesn't pop as much yeah exactly but but i will say like we do like my 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 ears perked up when we do end up in the like big mansion where we find richard jenkins character that's when i think like it kind of starts to like pick up again for me because that location was very interesting that location was like oh gosh like i'm feeling a little bit of like a a threat here i'm feeling like a bit of like doom and gloom uh we have the guy from uh Oh, I always forget the the actor's name. He was just in uh, Wrath of Man, and he was in Mindhunter, oh, that the, guy. the show yeah, that you yeah, started. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, what's that guy's name? I know who you're talking I w- about. I don't remember his name either. Uh, I think it's Holt McElhaney. The problem is, yeah. like, I always think Holt McElhaney is the name of the character from Mindhunter, sure. so sometimes I, I hesitate there. But, um, yeah, no, like, I think, like, that whole introduction of those characters is really, really great. Like, I, I just think that that location is good. But then it's it loses some of its like i don't know interest because then we start just going back to it unceremoniously and then I, you get used to it and then it's just sort of like ah eh, you know it's old hat at this point but yeah it's uh, a little bit unfortunate there yeah i mean i guess so the the reason it doesn't fall apart for me is because uh i think the last like 15 or 20 minutes are really outstanding like i think that's just del toro at his best right there and those last few moments i don't know if you'll agree uh, and I also just think, I do I do and I think uh, and this is where we probably are going to disagree based on what you said earlier it I think Cooper's performance is what keeps the film together for me at least I mean it, <sighs> yeah 
he tries like i i I'm, i don't want to criticize the performance that much the the issue is i think he's playing a different character than what's in the script i think you that's think what so? it comes down to for me and i think it's not his fault i think it's that he's totally miscast hmm. yeah i don't know i mean this was supposed to be um dicaprio uh, I remember hearing that he was initially. I don't think DiCaprio. See, I don't think th- th- these guys are too old for this part. It, they are kind of old. Should for be, it. Yeah, yeah. Like this part should be going to like somebody like I don't. I don't want to say Timothy Chalamet or like you know Miles Teller or whatever, but like somebody around that age range. You know, I'd have to think about it. But like, sure. You know, give it to Michael B. Jordan. You know, give it to somebody who is just like at a certain age where you buy their hunger, like their desire, like they feel like the world is ahead of them. But the problem is when you cast guys in their forties, it's like, that's not really the story here. Like nothing. It's not that you can't have that, but it's like, you you have to update it a bit, but like you even have dialogue in this movie where like people are kind of just treating the Bradley Cooper character as a guy who's like in his mid twenties and being just like, you got the whole, the whole world is your oyster kid. They call him like young buck. I'm like, it's Bradley Cooper. What Would are we you, doing? Uh, prefer if it was like Zac Efron. Zach Efron, I think, could have pulled this off quite well. He has a you boyish know? face and stuff, too. Yeah. And we saw him in the Ted Bundy movie. We know that he can kind of, like, sure. hide a lot of, you know, darkness behind those beautiful, beautiful eyes. Yeah, there you go. But, but He, he could be very yeah, I mean, charming, but now we can see he's very sinister or unpredictable in some ways. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it even comes down to, like, Molly, too, because I think that, you know, Rooney Mara, she, she's not an, an old actress, obviously, but she does, I don't know, she also didn't fit this part perfectly for me. She, the, even that, like, doe-eyed mentality, she's in her late 30s, I want to say, at this point, and, or really maybe, like, mid-30s, and I think it's a part for somebody who's a bit more, like, in their 20s, and I don't want to be ageist, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think that anybody can do any of these parts, and it can be very successful. I just think that it distracted me a bit, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, it didn't bother me, I guess, as much as it bothered you. Um, I did kind of feel that more, though, with Rooney Mara as opposed to um, Bradley Cooper's uh, performance. But I can see what you mean. Now, that's not to say that any of the other performances don't work here. Sure. I mean, I, I think that like everybody else is like perfectly cast. Like Willem Dafoe is like a, the ringleader of a carny. Like, yes, please. Yes, like he's that, great. N- genius. Uh Ron Perlman is very inspired as the strong man. Yep. Uh, I think that was, yep. uh, you know, expected, but great casting for me, though. Tim, yeah, mm-hmm. I was going to say Tim Blake Nelson. I got to get. Oh, yeah. Mention. I mean, I didn't want to give that one away, but I guess it's not really a spoiler to say that he's in the film. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I, his role in the film is a bit of a spoiler, I guess. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I had no, I guess, real faults with their performances. The only one that I was. Um, kind of back and forth on and you might disagree with this is Kate Blanchett um and I think that's because I, I was saving her for last okay <laughs> I was not a huge fan of her performance in this I think that I think her she she, she does a good job at it right. but I just don't think it's the right register right I think it's that the energy is kind of not quite right it's like in the yeah, original she's film, at 11 mm-hmm. Cooper's at six I want to say yeah I mean in the original film her character is like a little bit more um unpredictable I guess it's a little bit harder to read her intentions as far as like is she actually someone that should be trusted as this like kind of like a psychiatrist type character, or is she someone that is actually looking out for Stan's best interests? And I feel like Kate Blanchett, she's doing the, you know, um, femme fatale thing pretty, you know, she's leaning into it a lot and it's a fun performance, but it just seems like there's no like real mystery to her character. It's like, as soon as you see exactly. her in this film, it's just like, Oh, she's going to be up to some sneaky stuff. Uh, and so yeah, yeah, yeah the ending is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. 
to what you're saying that i think what she's doing here is like she's almost doing like a satirical like over-exaggerated femme fatale to that effect yeah it's instead like a, of like a roger rabbit type making it her own almost like something like in, what kind of like it's like something you would see in who framed roger rabbit i guess like like a parody of exactly Noir. yeah yeah exactly yeah and i just think that 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 can work if it's part of the script and if you know if bradley cooper is kind of on that same page if they had like a more playful chemistry right but they just really don't like it's it's just a very like it's very awkward and i just didn't really mm. buy the sort of dynamic between them i guess part of that is intentional because it's not supposed to be very you know graceful in terms oh. of like what they see in each other and getting something out of each other I, yeah i just don't think it's like uh i just don't think it quite works i think the chemistry is fine it's not like smoking hot but it's fine um but i think for i think me- that's the thing you need it to be not just fine you need it to be great sure it's a pivotal dy- you know pivotal relationship in the movie i just think her character needed to be a little bit muddier i guess as far as her intentions it just seemed like they sure. just made it too clear clean cut in a way that was supposed to be you know especially given how long this movie is and how that's supposed to be a big reveal towards the end i just felt like that character wasn't uh as unpredictable as it seems it just kind of made me question the mm-hmm. intelligence of bradley cooper's character more than anything if we can go back to cooper i will say this about his performance i think that it does progressively get better over the course of the movie for me i think that like my least favorite i think part of this movie with him like involving his performance is the first part and then the middle part it's like i think it's slightly better i think that he's there's a little bit more confidence there's a little bit more of like that guy going off the rails then by the end of it i'm just like wow you know like he he's really bringing it i think that's what it's all leading to it's just not a very you know it's very uneven in that sense you kind of have to wait the whole movie i think to get the bradley cooper performance that has the oscar reel i guess but uh, i don't know it sounds like you kind of disagree with that um i i think he's just pretty solid throughout um i i think with tyrone power's performance there is like a little bit of a theatricality to it but it's all it's still pretty thorny but in, in like a charming sort of way there it, it, it does have that like kind of uh broad type of performance that i think in this movie it seems like bradley cooper is kind of he's trying a bunch of different things he's going pretty far into like making the character seem a little bit um yeah a little bit more overzealous i guess a little bit more arrogant as far as like how he's portraying the character but i feel like it fit in line with his filmography it it, it didn't feel out of place for the film or what he has done in other performances and uh i don't know i just i feel like there is that like bravado to him, but there is that that sense that like you can like get lost in his eyes and kind of feel like oh you know like I can understand why people get tricked by this version of Stan like it didn't it didn't feel um, inexplicable to me in in that respect. But I agree with you. I think for me, it, it just the fact that he is able to kind of weather the the changing tides of the film pretty evenly in a way that um, I think Del Toro doesn't feel quite as sure footed is what keeps the movie pretty level, but. Um, at the same time, like, I, I don't think it's like as good as he is in like a star is born or, you know, in silver lions playbook or something, but I, I, I do think it's quite a good performance all the same. I do want to at least, you know, round out here with the stuff that I like, because I, you know, I'm probably making it sound like I'm just not into this, which is definitely not the case. I, I think what I like about this movie quite a bit is uh, touching upon some of this. We've already mentioned the, the atmosphere. I mean, the, the whole vibe of this movie is exactly my thing. It's this sort of like dark, imaginative. It, it's almost like Del Toro was kind of wanting to make like a Tim Burton movie, you know, kind of make his version of Dumbo, but adapt something else, but using that same sort of aesthetic, yeah. at least to some degree, right? I thought about Burton a lot, for sure. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm this honestly it had the vibe of a tim burton batman movie not batman himself but like 
a lot of these characters felt like they could exist like in the Batman universe, you know, like very, uh, the term Burton Batman universe to be clear, you know, characters here, like just, just like the way that they talk, like the exaggeration of them. Like I was like, my goodness, like this, he del Toro could make such a fascinating sort of uh Batman world um, kind of movie. I'm glad he won't because <laughs> I prefer him making movies like this, but you know, it, it's just something I couldn't help but think. Yeah. I guess I was thinking more of the movies where he's actually in the carnival, like big fish and Dumbo, as you mentioned, but I can see what you mean, I guess with the, the, the Batman comparison. Yeah. I think it was just like the rogues gallery. I was thinking of it like really like the Bradley Cooper character feels like a Batman villain, but like the, you know, the origin to it, not like Joker, obviously, but like, you know, one one of the more like B side sort of Batman villains, you know, B side Batman, get it. Um, and then also, I don't think there's enough good stuff we can say about the craftsmanship in this movie. There are folks who say like, we like practical effects. We like practical effects. Del Toro is one of the few directors who doesn't just pay lip service to that. I think that like in this last decade, we've had that like we've had directors who come out on their big press tours and they're just like we did these practical effects and then you watch the movie and you're like yeah maybe you did like two or three scenes that had a practical effect in it but this thing was 99 percent cgi and it, it feels like it's usually like a gimmick at this point but that's never the case with del toro with him it's always part of the movie like you have cgi in his movies obviously but you you have so many scenes here that are built upon like a a real attention to like making movie magic you know in the traditional way and not in a way that's gimmicky so i, I always got to give del toro you know hands hands up in the air snaps for that i i always love to see it it's, it's the main reason why i you know watched this movie and i had a good time with it despite my problems is because i sat i spent a couple hours just kind of like living in one of his worlds and it's it's hard to compete with that uh for a lot of other films yeah i get that um i guess for me it doesn't come together i think as well as some of his recent or yeah some of his recent and better films i think like you said shape of water or pan's labyrinth i think feel a little bit more wholly realized i think this is more like i appreciate i agree with you there i think i appreciate the little individual moments more than how it comes together all together but um yeah i mean i think there's a lot to value and appreciate here i still think it's a good film by and large uh it just hasn't really stuck with me as much as i hoped uh it's the type of movie where it's like i have to like kind of remind myself of it more than like oh yeah like thinking back on nightmare alley like what a good film it's just more like yeah oh yeah that movie came out but then when i remember it's like yeah this a lot of this worked a lot of this i was with it and like i said i think if it wasn't for the last like 10 or so minutes i probably wouldn't be as favorable as i am towards it i think that really ties the two fairly uneven chapters of this film together in a really neat way but at the same time yeah it's it's I can see, I think uh, his ambition maybe got a little bit of the better of him here, but I, I think, like you said, Del Toro remains a uh, pretty ace craftsman as far as these movies are concerned, and I really valued the craft here, especially seeing it on the big screen for sure. Yeah, yeah. I would just say, you know, go into this movie like with those expectations. You're going to get that. You know, just don't expect that it's going to sweep you up emotionally. Like maybe it will, and that's great. But yeah, if that's kind of like what you seek out first and foremost in a movie, uh, this one, you know, it's it's not that it doesn't have emotion in it. It's not that it doesn't have like a really good conflict and a really good arc for this Bradley Cooper character. I mean, it's based on, you know, an existing story that's lost the test of time for a reason. But I do think a lot of it's pretty predictable. A lot of it's, you know, not a formula, but it, it is something that that is so old and he doesn't do that much with it that it's not like you're going to watch this and be like wow you know it doesn't recontextualize anything it doesn't make you like have really conflicting emotions for a lot of these characters instead you kind of walk out of it being like well yeah you know that's happens yeah i mean it's definitely 
bleaker than the original film. I mean, I'm guessing it's not as bleak as the novel, but it, it does feel a little bit more brooding. It's certainly more violent than the original movie um, in a way that I think, you know, adapting it for a modern audience and, and with uh, Del Toro's vision, I think that's a piece. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, I, it's one of those type of films where if you absolutely love the original film, I don't think this one's going to persuade you to be like, oh, this like fully warrants being remade. But I think as far as remakes are concerned, it's still a pretty darn good one all the same. Let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. All right. 199 critics have weighed in on Nightmare Alley on Rotten Tomatoes. Well, Ashen, what is your prediction for the Rotten Tomatoes score the day we record this? Oh, man. And I, I will I will say one of these reviews is for me. So you got to keep that keep that in mind. Who knows what it, I said? Uh, I'm in there too, right? This time? Oh, that's right. Yeah, because you did this for the young folks. Yeah. You're in there somewhere. Yeah, look at that. Oh, great. Two, uh, so now, yeah. two Rotten Tomato critics. Just a couple. Yeah, those, that's our Veggie Tales. Yeah, there you go. Um, I'm going to put on my blindfold and uh, put my hand up. <laughs> yeah, uh, spin do my, yeah, my own prediction. <laughs> um, my gut says uh, 74%. 74% is your prediction. That's probably about what I would have predicted. Like I would probably would have been in that zone, maybe slightly higher, but I don't know for sure what I would have said. It's at 80% though. So you're off about by six. Hmm. It's a tough one though. It's a tough one to predict. I think all right. critics have been kind of all over the place with this. But that's not like shocking or anything. That makes sense too. Right. I just kind of figured that because the response has been a little bit more muted, uh, at least from where I've seen, uh, I figured it was mm-hmm. a little bit lower. But you know, that's certainly very high. And I think it has it was in the 70s at one point. I think it's been going up. But what about audience score? We have 250 plus verified ratings. As we mentioned, it is in wide release through Searchlight, although you wouldn't really know it. I think like when I was looking at like Letterboxd, it's not a lot of people logged the movie too, which is uh, you know, unfortunate, but that's how it goes. What do you think, Will, about the audience score? What's your prediction there? Um I think they're not gonna be too far from where critics are with this one. I think most people would like it, but I feel like they're not going to be in love with it in the way that they've loved previous um, Del Toro movies. Like, I don't think this one will warrant the same enthusiasm that some folks have for Pacific Rim, for instance. Um, so I'm going to say uh, pretty similar to my previous prediction. I'm going to say probably like 76 eh, percent. Mm. Wrong. What is it? 62 percent. Oh, wow. That's pretty low. I mean, not it's still, I know. still fresh, but not uh, just barely fresh. Yeah. I think that's uh, maybe that'll help you, though, predict the cinema score because we have that, too. The folks in Vegas mm. were like, hey, we know something about gambling at all. <laughs> um, yeah. What do you think the cinema score for this movie is? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm feeling a little off with this one today. Uh, unfortunately, I've, I've been better elsewhere. Um, so I'm, I'm I guess my uh, my career in Vegas as a um, what do you call it? What, what is uh, what is technically prognosticator? Yeah, but I thought there's like a word begins with I that that that. Uh, like not like an illusionist but like what's the um maybe it is illusionist i don't know what word exactly i'm looking for but nevertheless my uh my uh, career in, in vegas isn't going anywhere but i imagine they're gonna be a b on this film a b yes that's, that's spot on you got it there. oh boy okay you, you got it in the end just like the movie itself yeah there we go maybe <laughs> maybe there's hope for me as a as a magician yeah <laughs> were you trying to think of mentalist mentalist or? yes i don't know why i was thinking it was oh, yeah i was okay. thinking mentalist yes Okay, that makes more sense. I was like, illusionist? Like, what is this, uh, Christopher Nolan movie? No, that's The Prestige. The other one. Oh, yeah. Who did The Illusionist then? I'm trying um, to remember. I forget the director. That was with Edward Norton and Paul Giamatti. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. I don't remember. But, okay, that is Nightmare Alley. And, it, oh, my gosh, literally 
the 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 score just changed because a couple more reviews got added. Okay. So we already dated ourselves. Wow. Nightmare Alley is now at eighty one percent. Wow. So you were off by even more. Well, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, that was uh the illusionist was Neil Berger, the uh, director oh, of that's right, that's right. Limitless, which starred Bradley Cooper. Is that the one where he's limitless? You better believe it. But that you know ties it back around. We're talking about Bradley Cooper. There you go. There you go. Yeah, always comes back around there. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Be sure to subscribe to Cinemaholics on your favorite podcast app of choice or find us on YouTube. See you all next time.